Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 214, Arya 7 in A Storm of Swords. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. Are you ready for the return of Sandor? <laughs> Again. I'm I'm so ready for who let the dogs in. It was me who yeah. let the dogs in. He left of and then came uh, but- back. <laughs> Who brought the dog back? Yeah, I'm excited for Sandor, as always. I I hope that I didn't go too ham last week on Sandor. You know, I'm trying to effectively budget out my Sandor obsession across the next several chapters. Rationing it. Yeah, we're rationing out in in this place. But I'm excited. I'm excited that we're so close to you not saying, are you ready? That's gonna be... It's going to be a what time if I, like, for keep me. It? What if I keep it for forever? All right. Well, we'll workshop that offline. Uh, that's, a, that's a compromise we can make. Welcome back. We are excited to jump back into A Storm of Swords, into another chapter with the Brotherhood with Arya. But first, housekeeping. Get ready, patrons in the Stranger Tier and above, five bucks and up, because you will have, at the end of the month, a brand new bonus episode. And that episode will be, of course, on the Hunger Games, as I've annotated in our personal notes, Hungy Games. Hungy Uh, Games. Yeah. Part two of our Hunger Games episode on the book, The Hunger Games, by Suzanne Collins. Some respect on that name. She's wonderful. Ms. Collins. I'm having fun with these. We're actually getting pretty deep into them. I think we'll finish up this probably next month. I'm sure we'll want to get to bravos at some point it's been a while oh bravos interesting sounds nice in this crisp january we're having on the east coast yeah a a return to our free cities series but yeah i'm also i mean i think everyone can hear it if you've listened to our first hunger games episode we are we are hype we are hype more like the hype games hyper games no hyper is its own word but it's like we never left the arena. Wait, I don't know. Wait, that is one of the themes. Hmm. That is no. That's literally one of the themes. Okay. Anyways. Anyways, speaking of other things on Patreon, patrons in the Thunder tier and above, ten dollars and up, get access to our special Patreon Discord, which comes with fun channels. Where right now there's a there's a hop in conversation on CK three. Also, it is hopping. It is hopping. It's so far. I've come to the realization that CK three might be like MySpace top eight. Unsure, but <laughs> Chloe can provide more insight. We also have, of course, our monthly happy hour slash brunch. Yeah, y'all are gonna have to excuse us if we just burst into CK three, right? I feel like uh, it's just been real. One of our patrons and friends, Alex, has joined up in the chaos. They've been playing CK three. They had this run. I think as Rhaegar or as a Targaryen during Robert's Rebellion. And I think they had like 107 children, many of them bastards or some shit. It's crazy. It's wild. We're all having fun posting our little screenshots. You know, uh, the History of Westeros group, they do a lot of the CK3-ing, a Game of Thrones mod, Crusader Kings 3 Game of Thrones mod. And it's a blast. We're all sharing mods in our server too. I'm sure you'll, if you're in the Discord, you'll probably see us stream it at one point. I'm sure we'll all jump on and play at the same time. Fucking nerds. I don't know. We've just been having a lot of fun. It's a it's a silly game, but it's like it's a very fun way to embrace a world that you love, right? Westeros, and kind of play around with some of the dynamics and places, and it's beautifully done, the mod is. So 
big high five to them. Yeah, our Discord brunch in February. You just missed our January, but you can sign up for February. It's coming February 17th, a little belated Galentine's Day activities. I'm sure we'll probably play some some reindeer games or something on there, some Jackbox games. I don't know, but two to four ET, you can come hang with us. Indeed. So look forward to all of that. And of course, more Aria episodes. But before that, our first emails and tweets of note of 2024. Yes. Speaking of our friend Alex with the 107 bastards <laughs> um, <laughs> from CK3, they sent us an email and they're always a traveling. They've been catching up on some Patreon episodes and some other episodes. They've been commenting in the Discord on it and uh, keeping us updated as they progress. But they said, after several starts, stops, and a fuck ton of flights, I've caught up with the main <laughs> cast episode. Rip Mengon Cannon, 2023 to 2023. You lasted longer than Arya's innocence, but shorter than her murder list. Truly gone too soon. If there's one thing we love, it's validation. We did love <laughs> Mengon Cannon. It was truly a podcast that we loved. Uh, Alex has been enjoying the Arya coverage. Comparing her stint in Harrenhal with a corporate American job was inspired. Alex has always thought Arya was one of, if not the easiest, Stark to enjoy in POV. Not as esoteric, but still a little magical, like Bran. Feminine, but not overtly feminine like Sansa's plot. Martial, but not brooding or angsty, unlike Jon. Arya has Catelyn's ferocity and speak truth to powerness, but isn't directly clashing or challenging the holders of her systems of power and more popular characters. Arya has Ned's northern starkness, but without the acedia and keeping her head thus far. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Arya is action-oriented, insightful, and though she doesn't always understand the world that she's inhabiting, the adult world that she's inhabiting, even when she's pushed to the background, she's active and precocious. And, of course, she becomes a death cult's murder ninja assassin spy while still retaining and growing her warg powers. So, my easy question for you both today is, if you had to envision the most horrific and tragic end that makes you weep for Arya, what would it be and why? What the fuck, Alex? What, why uh, would you attack XOXO, us? your loyal Zorse, Gossip Girl. Wow, and there's a bonus question that's way happier, but I want to hear first from you, Eliana, what's your horrific, tragic ending for Arya? I think for me, the most horrific and tragic ending for Arya would be, like, just completely losing herself and staying at the House of Black and White. Like, yeah. for me, that's what I think would be saddest. Or going back to it. Yeah, yeah, or, like, just, just never leave. yeah, going back to it or never leaving. Like, for me, that's saddest ending for Arya. Yeah, that, like, her going back and trying to get in, it reminds me a little bit of Bitter Blooms, even, Ooh, of her going back trying, yeah, check out our Patreon episode on that. I really like that episode. But Bitter Blooms, yeah, I love that. I love that story. That was awesome, Same. that Gurm novella. You guys got to check it out if you haven't, but there's a character that gets basically cast out of a certain Eden in some ways that she thought was evil and then goes back and tries to get back in because, you know... Life is fucking meaningless. So that's just the long short, really. There's a lot more depth in the actual story. I think you should all listen to it. But yeah, her going back for it would make me so sad. And her dying, like in general, I really am an anti. When I was like younger, you know, a young girl and knew little of the ways of war in Aeswath, I really thought that all that silly foreshadowing was there to say, Arya's gonna die, needle in hand, frozen, do 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 do. And I actually think that would be stupid and tragic and i don't know that wouldn't that would make me weep like i'd be like really sad about that i don't think that george would be allowed to do that because paris would murder him but i just think that it would be a very sad 
Yeah, I don't know. Going back is probably more tragic and horrific. I don't know if I even have horrific. It's just like a dumb ending. So that's not really sad. For me, like, it depends on how she dies. Like, if for me, like, if she dies out there fighting, but she's herself, she's Arya. Mm -hmm. For me, that's somehow, like, less sad than her living all this time as basically a broken man, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Agree. I want her to have somewhat of a, like, at least a sweet-ish, like, bittersweet, sweet, happy ending. Bitterbloom sweet, yeah. Bitterbloom sweet, yeah. I don't know. I used to be very, like, on the, Arya's gonna die, stupid-ass train. And now I'm like, no, that girl's gonna live. It's all gonna work out. My poor girl. I think it's what we've been discussing, right? Like, she, this idea of Arya, right? That identity might die in the way that the Hound is dead. Yeah, she kills off her murder baby identity and... I, I want healing for her, you know, yeah. my, my ultimate ending. I don't mind the show ending. I know that's very controversial to say since no one talks about that show anymore, but I don't mind it in a way because for me, it's like, it's a good way for her to go adventure, not necessarily off in the West, you know, farming style, but for her to go off and like find herself and be able to do that and explore who she is and be allowed to do that with no societal you know like blockers in her way and no big war in her way i think that would be good for her yeah i think essentially like i'm about to spoil fucking the ending of the shadow and bone books but just the original trilogy Mm -hmm. but essentially that sort of idea right being able to just live a life of anonymity and as you said healing i think is something that would be good for her i just think that the show executed it really stupidly yeah oh yeah absolutely absolutely but, and as you said not necessarily exploring out in the west but this idea of just yeah what the ending is of just the original trilogy of shadow and bone i know like it expands and <laughs> other things happen um that one day i'm gonna get to those books i've started but you gotta I still finish them they're so good I, I know i know i i need to but i have so many things on my I list i say that right about now. every book i'm sorry I, it's okay it's okay that's what our friendship is built on i think <laughs> i'm here to guilt you to finish books Hell Don't yeah. workshop me. <laughs> it does. <laughs> good. Write it down, folks. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's go. Let's talk about the bonus question Alex gave us. Mm. This is a fun one. You know, I was excited when I saw this. In fact, like I read the entire email, and it was a great email. But this is what stuck out to me, and it's all I thought about for like two days. Bonus question: What girls' rock anthems do you think Arya listens to while she practices her needlework? Um, I didn't think hard enough about this question i kind of forgot there's a bonus question you go first wow there are two types of hosts on this podcast guilt works on me holy shit there are two hosts well you're lucky eliana you're lucky for me because while you may not have thought very hard about this question i've made it so you don't have to because i have a very carefully curated Arya stark playlist on Spotify. We'll link it. Ooh. You can look it up wow. and find it. We'll it. It's A-S-O-I-A-S <laughs> colon. I am a direwolf and done with wooden oh teeth. Uh, curated for Arya Stark. There's mm. a lot of bubblegum kind of, you know, riot girl pop rock synth, hyper rock ballads. Uh, some of the highlights I would say include, which are my, you know, Arya's little, little ballads. Things I can kind of imagine her, I don't know, like in the Riverlands fighting with Needle seeing her dance around water dance around i can hear her doing that with this playlist in a lot of songs but uh comeback kid by sleigh bells is Mm, that one for sure very you know it's actually kind of upbeat peppy uh wolf like me tv on the radio okay interesting wouldn't say abraham's daughter by arcade fire okay 
Yeah, I know. There are some dudes. I'm sorry. Dudes sometimes do rock and we have to let them rock, but they don't really have much of a place here. But there's more. Just Fangless by Sleater Kinney and uh, Human Behavior by Bjork. And these are all just songs when we think of Aria, but Comeback Kid by Sleigh Bells is like was my number one first thing I thought of. Because it's just very, you can just see her going around stabbing to it, you know? And I know that's maybe, maybe that's not your definition of girls rock, but it's mine. Okay. Interesting. Um, <sighs> give me give me some time to think about this. I, I need to think about this yeah. deeper because obviously I'm going to come back. Maybe, maybe something will come to me throughout this episode while I, you know, I'll scroll through Spotify and think about things. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what don't have yeah. me you owe us you owe us a song at least eliana okay okay thank you alex for this email love hearing yes, from you thank you and yeah spurred some good conversation we have another email from our friend lo who always has bangers speaking of bangers yeah our friend lo sent us an email about Arya six and wanted to send in some thoughts and of course disclaimers that lo points out they're not one-one comparisons to, you know, real events. And fiction's not real life, right? Like, we get that. In fiction, we understand why characters do bad stuff. We enjoy reading about characters who are immoral, yada, 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 real world, etc. So, coming back to Arya Six in A Storm of Swords at this point in time, the Brotherhood Without Banners, listing the names of Lannister men have killed, hit me even more than before. All of these people we've never heard of before, but who someone remembers and wants justice for. Sandor might rightly wonder who the fuck they are and why he's accused of their deaths, but like Beric says, they were people. Innocent people being slaughtered in a war that they have nothing to do with. It hit me even harder this time around. I think that's probably because for the past few months, social media has been filled with images of wounded and dying people, and it feels powerless to stop it. Sharing lists of the dead, boycotting companies, joining protests, I write letters to politicians, but it still feels like they don't give a shit. Tens of thousands of people are dying right in front of our eyes, and those in charge do not care. I don't know anyone personally affected, but if you're in a situation like that and the people you love are being killed, you feel powerless. You might even feel like you have to try to do something. Punish someone. So yes, the Brotherhood goes after Sandor, even if he's not to blame for these specific deaths or the Westerosi military-industrial complex. But he represents that for them, and many of them are desperate to punish someone. As readers, we get that Sandor already lives in hell, but to people whose families have been killed and feel like no one cares, he's just a Lannister dog. The beauty of fiction is we can understand these sides and we can sympathize. In real life, the stakes are higher. We can't both sides it. I wish the Brotherhood would put the Lannister regime on trial instead of Sandor, but unfortunately, Westeros doesn't have a version of the Hague. So while this trial is suboptimal, I get why they do it, why they want to do it. So I was really glad that Lo sent this email after that episode because I know we didn't dive that deeply into it. I thought it was like a really great explanation of... Even though we made fun of it, there is absolutely a human desire behind why the Brotherhood Without Banners does put Sandor on trial for that. And there is, I think, something really poetic also about the reading a lot of the names. And as Lowe said, right, like these people who are not real, but like in real life, you know, this kind of thing is like there are real people who matter and who are human behind all of that. And it makes sense to want to do something, to want something tangible that feels like justice in order to feel as though you are doing something in the face of being powerless. I think power is the ability to do. That is what power is in many ways. The ability to do, the ability to have choice. And I think that calling out that 
Sandor is put on trial for all these things, you know, as, as Lo says, right? Like, he's not to blame for these specific deaths or the Westerosi military industrial complex. And yeah, they don't have the Hague. I think the fucking Westerosi government would be put, like, on trial or something in general. <laughs> <laughs> but, You'd have to just start all over, like, control out delete yeah. the whole country, dude. It'd <laughs> you be... just have to. Um, but, like, Sandor is scapegoated in this moment, right? He's being made to stand in for these crimes that he has nothing to do with. And I think that's something that I love that Lo called out because I think that's something that George is definitely exploring in this book, that very human desire to want to have control over a situation and then scapegoating someone for it. Like Sandor is one here for the Brotherhood Without Banners standing in for things. We see it with the way that Catelyn can't doesn't have the power or doesn't feel like she can blame Ned for having a bastard and scapegoats John. Like John ends up mm -hmm. standing in for all of those issues and crimes and for threats against her family and um, all bastards, right? And then you also see it even with like, I mean, speaking of someone standing in for the crimes of something that they didn't do and for a regime, Sansa, in in the throne room being beaten. So I think like it's something that George is definitely exploring that, you know, calling out that this is our human impulse to want this, to want justice and power over our lives and taking it out on other people. I think it's important because I think that's definitely what he's saying, right? Thematic scapegoating. I mean, it's set up throughout this entire book, the epilogue, right? It's set up later with Stoneheart with the phrase. This exact trial and scapegoating is kind of paralleling that, the trial that is being given to the phrase that are being found across the Riverlands. I mean, we we meet pathetic Peter Pimple, who, I mean, let's be real, was he the number one Lannister and Frey conspirator, would you say, Peter Pimple? No, no, I would not. I would not say Peter Pimple. He's just a... <laughs> He's not the mastermind, right? I even think about, on a smaller scale, right, they lay with lions, the women that are hanged that we come across later. This this kind of unraveling of justice and what justice really means and what it stands for in the Riverlands during this time. Were those women who fucked Lannister men? Were they fucking the Lannister soldiers? Should they have been hanged and put on trial for that? I mean, it, it's a very complicated world of where there's no longer really one law, even in Westeros when you hit a real trial. Right, And there's two trials here to bring up for Tyrion. One, Catelyn taking him for his brother's crimes. Really, right? Taking Tyrion. And then, of course, that trial, I wouldn't say is very fair, that trial of co by combat. And then his next trial in Westeros that is supposed to be a real trial put on by the kingdom, put on by the fucking government in front of all of gods and men and whatever. And it's stacked with lies, and it's it's not fair at all. It's not a real trial. This trial, just like those, it's spectacle. It's not really justice, right? It's zealous grandstanding to please those people in a way and to keep them happy. And I feel for the small folk because, like, what else do they have that is even tangible that's anything of yeah. justice? They don't have food. Everything they have has been destroyed. Why not put it on Sandor? And it's interesting to, like, bring it in, in, into an idea of his actual crimes, right? Like, what is he on trial for? These people's deaths, sure, but as Arya shouts with her little voice, like, he did do a crime. He murdered Micah. That is a crime, right? Sandor was not brave enough to stop and step out of this 
code that mm. he adheres to in following the Lannisters to not kill a child. Like, that 12-year-old boy is representative of little Sandor. That's how old he was when he had his face pressed into the embers by his brother. Like, Sandor, that's you. That's you you just killed. You murdered a kid that had no chance at surviving in life and you could have helped him. That's a crime. That's a real crime he should have maybe been trialed for. You contrast it against this chapter we're about to read, White, right, with the with the attack on the Mummers. There is no trial. The Mummers are bad. We know that. And they're murdered. They are run down, they are burnt out, and they are murdered. I find it very interesting, the uh, spectacle of trial even here by people that, let's be real, as we listen to Beric and Thoros talk in this chapter, I would say they are more than capable of putting on a real fair judicial trial. Yeah, I think that's great that you've called it out as a spectacle because that is what is happening, right? It's basically, you know, it's the five-minute hate for the Brotherhood Without Banners. But as mm. you said, right, the mummers are, they are guilty. And I think that's why it's great to also have this email in this chapter because is this the best version of a trial? No, but it does feel much more just to put the mummers on trial for these things because the mummers have directly been terrorizing all of these people and these lands. Those mm-hmm. those crimes are there, tangible. And as you said, Sandor does have actual crimes to be laid at his feet. It is, I think it would even be fine to like try him for you supported a traitor's house or something, right? Mm-hmm. Like you served traitors, speaking of the Lannister regime, but not necessarily for like those specific people's deaths. And I mean... Because he did, right? He was complicit in that system for a long time. Same way as, again, like, as we brought up last time, like, we judge Barristan Salmi for being, mm-hmm. for supporting Ares, right? Or the other Kingsguard for standing by while Ares, you know, did all of his terrible crimes. And it also you brought up, like, Tyrion's trial, right? As you said, like, that trial, especially that parallels this one in the in the Vale, that one was an absolute farce, but like, if Tyrion were the one who was on trial here against the Brotherhood without banners, I actually think, in my opinion, I'd be like, that might hold a little bit of water to me because I'm like, Tyrion, even if he did not directly, you know, kill these people, he's part of the family that is directly benefiting and mandating all of these crimes. And I'm like, actually, like, Tyrion could be the one put on trial here in front of the Brotherhood without banners for those deaths, so. Yeah, look, Sandor, of course, is my baby boo-boo kitten. We've been over this. But yeah, it was probably not good that he murdered a kid. And it was probably not great that he stayed working there. Though I don't know how you're supposed to quit the king's service, to be fair. But But he um, did. You can. He did do it. You can. It's just then you're an outlaw and wanted by all sorts of people. And then you get put on a trial that's totally unfair that traumatizes you. Anyways, PTSD. Anyways, but um, to catch up with where we are in the book, uh... But yeah, like, yeah, it's not good, but take him for the the crimes that he's actually accused of, for sure. And Tyrion, same thing. My other boo-boo kitten, you know? I mean, I won't protect him. He does his own crime. He can, you know, serve his own time, but also properly, properly charge him. Yeah. And I I will say, like, you know, I think this line that... Um, from Lowe's email, like, as readers, we get that Sandor already lives in hell, but to the people whose families have been killed and feel like no one cares, he's just a Lannister dog, which is true. And I think it's not even just, like, about the readers knowing that Sandor is already punishing himself, Mm -hmm. you know, already lives with a punishment for doing these things. I think I just, like, have this, like, visceral reaction to holding 
someone accountable for like the crimes of a group in general because I think that you know not to like slippery slope this but it it can get to that right like that's how you end up with things like prejudice or like you know hate crimes and like I think of you know how when I go on the metro or like any sort of public transportation I don't stand next to the train anymore you know I sit down or I make sure my back is against the wall so no one can like push me and like the ways that I've changed my way of living around mm-hmm. that so I think that's just something that I like I'm like wait wait how is Sandor responsible for all of these things and that's just something that I react to viscerally but I think it is fair to say that Sandor is slash was very complicit in that system and as you said he has actual crimes and and then it goes to systemic like the system in general like you like I said, though, how does he quit? Like, obviously he quits and then he's a wanted man. And if he shows up anywhere, there's nowhere that's really, I mean, even as we see by the end of the chapter, there's nowhere for him to go. Where does he end up? The quiet aisle, the only place in the fucking universe left for him to go without going, you know, across the narrow sea. Um, and it, it's like, it gets into a whole entire conversation of the rehabilitation of people too, right? Like the dehumanization as well of all humans when you start thinking of people as a number, you begin to dehumanize them. You know, above your brain with Dunbar's number, you can only hold up to a certain amount of people in your brain and sympathize and empathize for that many people. That's just how we're built as a human being. That's okay. That's a theorem. But, you know, the the whole point of the story in the face of the others, I think, you know, too, of uh, the dehumanization and some of the reanimation as we're talking about this chapter And later on in the book, when we reanimate mommy, dearest. I mean, to your point, as what you were saying, like, making sure that people don't just become a number, that's same as what Lo is saying, right? Like, of... Yeah. That's why it's such a powerful moment, even though, like, what's happening to Sandor is unfair, that what happened to all these other people and the people that they lost, those names, like, that's unfair, too, and... yeah, Yeah, I think that there's a lot of, like, complexity in these scenes and with these two chapters, and... Definitely indicative of, like, the unraveling of the Brotherhood Without Banners that would come, for sure, too. You know, this was the peak. This was the peak of their knighthood, and then soon the schism comes. Yeah. So I think this was, like, a really, this was a great response to and, like, unpacking of that scene from Lo. So thank you. Yeah, thank you, Lo. And thank you all for listening to us chat about this, because honestly, it spurred a lot of conversation in the past day with us i was and i'm not even kidding i was like oh my god yes we were going at it we were just like messaging with all these thoughts and concepts and ideas and it made us think it was a thinker a navel gazer if you will and i think it's a good yeah scene setting for this chapter as well Mm -hmm. and last we have a comment on patreon from our friend clara who I thought this was really cool in response to some of what you were saying last chapter about the Wizard of Oz, because I'm learning that I guess I don't know very much about the Wizard of Oz, but oh, I mean, I've watched yeah, I watched the movie this. several times, but like, yeah. yeah, this is great from Clara. This is really great because especially because some of it is kind of what I didn't get into. So I love a comment, as you all know, and Clara said, so some thoughts on the Wizard of Oz and the Aswaf middle books. Riverland plots. I reread the first Wizard of Oz chapter the other day and I forgot how absolutely bleak 
Dorothy's life in Kansas is. Aunt M slowly goes gray and forgets how to laugh. Uncle Henry is obviously constantly working, seemingly alone, and they all live in total poverty. Honestly, it sounds like a medieval surf life, or at least a modern perception. Maybe there's some comparison there between Kansas and the people of the Riverlands, impoverished and forgotten. There are obvious parallels between Arya and Dorothy as they're both unexpectedly pulled into adventures. Dorothy's are much more fun, with plenty of color, magic, etc. But both girls just want to get home. Yeah, absolutely some great comparisons with the people of the Riverlands in there with the impoverished and forgotten, especially with the land and some of the battles outside of Oz that are outlining. And then, you know, I mean, the whole idea of Aunt Em and Uncle Henry and the home and living in total poverty and it being taken away by the Wicked Witch in real time, as well as in the subconscious dream that is uh, into the, the land of Oz. I think that's so interesting. I definitely... I see a little bit of it creeping in, and I don't see as much of it in this chapter. I definitely think George is just playing around in that one, because I really don't think we call Barrick Scarecrow ever again after that, but... Oh, yeah. It's interesting. interesting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But great points with Arya and Dorothy, right? Being yeah. pulled into adventures, and I My love dog. the comparison of color and magic in this other world, where right now she's in a world with no magic, but when she goes to Bravos, right, I would say Bravos is a, a world filled with a little bit of magic and color. Not yeah. necessarily the house of black and white, but around it. True. And and dog. And dog. What? Dorothy has a dog. It's true. Yes, it's true. Well, thank you, Clara. I love this comment. Yeah, maybe we got to reread this after all. Us last week. It's not our thing. Us today. Maybe we'll reread it. You never know. What? The Wizard of Oz? Yeah. It's not that long. I've never, I've never read it. You haven't? No. Oh, you should read it. You should read everything. That's what Put I was saying. List. Yeah, I don't know much about it. Okay. Open up your your story graph or Goodreads or whatever you got, and I guess we're rereading. No, it's just my head. Oh, that's scary. You know, it's yeah, right. It's scary. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even Uh... use bookmarks. Did you know that? (laughs) I just open up the page and I'm like, yeah, that's That's where where I I left off. Oh, yeah. Wow, I'm afraid of you. There are two types of podcast co-hosts. Wait, um, what do you use? What do, do you use a bookmark? I e-read, but I usually will use a bookmark if I'm paper reading. Yeah, I'll and like I e-read. e-read and I bookmark. I, I like bookmark the, my e-read. I let the you, the little doodad, you know, mm-hmm. keep my place. I only, but with physical books, I only I just read open it. like at night a lot. Like sometimes during the day, I'll really get into it. But like, I'm really good at reading at like 1 a.m., 5 a.m., 7 a.m. Those are great times for me when I wake up randomly mm. and I can't get back to bed insomnia is what i'm saying and like that's what i do my best reading i'll get i'll knock a couple hundred pages out i'll be like feeling good but i also pass out sometimes reading so like Mm. often i'll fall asleep and i'll realize i wake up and like totally no clue where i am maybe the last few you know etc so i try to bookmark like the last bit of consciousness that's left i try to put a bookmark down for me sometimes i end up restarting something and i'll realize oh i might have already read these but i think i find that useful because i'm like well clearly if i remember it that well then that means i didn't really internalize (laughs) it so i just like do it i just let my i just let my i don't know soul tell me where to open the book (laughs) yeah you're um learning a lot about you today so there's that you know you never stop learning about each other in a marriage folks you never do all right, we got to jump into this lightning round before we get to the lightning Lord of Lightning. Lord the Lord of Lightning round, yeah. yeah. Here's what we missed from last time to this time. Catelyn 4, Hoster's funeral hangs over River on hangs. <laughs> uh, Rob gets word at, of Duskendale as well as Winterfell. Not great. Not great. 
Davos for Davos is brought before the king and rises a lord and his new hand. Stannis uses king's blood to doom three usurpers. Jamie five. In the bathhouse at Harrenhal, Jamie reveals the truth of his nickname to Brienne. Later, they dine with Roose Bolton. Hmm. Tyrion five. The Red Viper arrives in King's Landing, causing waves. Sexy, sexy waves. And here we are at Arya 7 in a storm of swords, where, after a bloody, fiery battle at the Septry, Thoros and Beric lay down some philosophy. Gendry becomes a knight of the hollow, and a dog returns to beg. Aww. So we open with the mummers posting guards around the building, but the Brotherhood falls on them one by one. Yes, I love this description. I have to call this out. He tumbled bonelessly down the steep slate pitch. Oh man, I was in ribbons just giggling about this one this week. Bonelessly. Bonelessly. Uh, no bones. No bones day. Forever. Yeah. For at that cons, guy. that was a thing. Do you remember that ever? Did you ever witness this at a convention? There was a no. thing where you could... I learned it at a con. Maybe it was not. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe I learned it elsewhere. You go to hug someone and then you say no bones and you just fall to the ground and take that oh. with you. No, I don't remember that. <laughs> I don't think I know that. No bones. Uh, that's you, you can only really do it with people you really know. It's probably pretty fucked up I don't to know. do it people, elsewise. No, but. people will. You know how anime conventions were. People would do that with people they didn't know, probably. Yeah, all the time. So I like that they're fighting the mummers. It's a fun detail, I think, considering that last chapter. I mean, it's not a detail. It's pretty important for the whole chapter, but whatever. Considering how last chapter, Sander was all like, you fucking brave companions. So thought that was fun. Also thinking like, thinking cap on. Maybe I already said this a few chapters ago, but I don't remember. 2023 was so long ago. Arya? Is Arya a bloody mummer? Not with, like, the capitals, like, going along with the group, but I just mean, like, literally. Mm-hmm. Like, in a troop. You never know. You mm. never know. You never know. This is kind of like the last time we see the mummers as a somewhat unified front. Mm. Zolo dies, Kyle and Wadi. I think Yurswick is still on the run, though, and we might see him in Sam chapters later in Old Town, who knows, but... Interesting exit, and I like what you've called out here about how Sandor kind of made fun of them the last chapter, and was like, oh, such brave fucking companions, when they are trying to do some good. Oh, the Brotherhood? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, technically, the Brotherhood are, in fact, companions who are brave. Just lowercase. <laughs> Same as Arya as a bloody mummer, but lowercase. It's not their fault that the mummers have co-opted that group name already. Yeah, it's they trademarked to the terms. No one owns words, okay? I do hate I do hate when that happens, you know. Remember when Taylor <laughs> Swift tried to trademark the sick beat? I did not I forgot about that, but that's very uh, funny. LMAO. We love Taylor Swift's LMAO. music on here. Um Aria watches the battle from her horse on the crest of a wooded ridge overlooking the septry and the little town. The trees are bare and she has a clear view. She hates being left behind like a child, but Gendry was left back with her too. So she feels a little better about that. The very beginning of this battle is written, and I think Nauticaz talked about this, so sorry, parallel thought. The beginning of this battle reminds me of Cat, right? Watching from Whispering Wood, watching overhead. There's an interesting line from our budding child soldier saying, in battle you had to obey, mm. which is another very Catalan line too, when you think about it. She's obeyed her whole life. Oh, that's true. That's a that's a great comparison between Arya and Kat, and yeah, those parallels with earlier 
earlier chapters. I was also thinking, like, we talk about Arya leveling up in skills for later on in the story, and I think this is actually really interesting for her lessons and development, being with the Brotherhood Without Banners and watching them do this, like, raid or whatever, because it teaches her the kinds of, like, military or strategies and tactics of leading attacks, especially doing so in darkness, and also attacks that start with stealth and, you know, these guerrilla warfare and, like, group attacks, and then also, as you called out, right, like, needing to obey when it comes to doing those sorts of group attacks, because so far she's been doing most of, like, her fighting solo. She's been drafting the plans, yeah. Who let her draft the plans? Like, when they killed the guards, Honestly, the, uh, yeah. the Bolton guards, yeah, at Harrenhal. It was sloppily done at the end of the day, and she knows that because she thinks that. She's like, they'd figure it out soon enough, but oh well, because of who has access where and what she had access to. But now she's learning, to your point, that's great. She's learning all these different stratagem, and she's going to learn a lot more when it comes to the House of Black and White and her trainings there. Those are, yeah, and like those are like individual, right? But these are like group v. group, which is kind Mm -hmm. of fun. Yeah, and then she learns to how to operate within a group because of that. Mm, mm. The rain threatens to fall, morning mists have taken its place, and flaming arrows are the weapon of choice as the Brotherhood break in, killing axemen and other guards as they enter. Angai has arrows made of bodekins as well as broadheads. Arya decides she's going to learn to shoot a bow, seeing the good in being able to shoot arrows from afar. There's that bow foreshadowing that you've brought up. It, uh, it comes up once more. Yeah, I still, like, don't know. I'm like, is it going to happen? But as you pointed out, it's come up so many times now that I'm like, I guess it must happen eventually. It could still happen. I mean, there's all that stuff about... The long Weir- night. Yeah, there's all that stuff about weirwood bows that, like, would definitely suit her. And we've been talking about Master of Whispers stuff, and Blood Raven had one, and he was a Master of Whispers, and, like, I don't know. It's just one of those things that, again, mm-hmm. is more plausible with, like, the five-year gap time span, but we can shoehorn it in there, and... I, I think it's also kind of funny because the show, her, our very first introduction to Arya in the show adaptation, sorry, not adaptation, in the original version of this story that was the show, Arya comes in already knowing how to shoot a bow, right? Like, she shows up Bran. Mm-hmm. Interesting, yeah. She's already practiced by then. Well, maybe they knew something we don't know. Does she shoot a bow in the show? I don't remember. I mean, later on in- Oh, later? later? On no, the- absolutely not. No. She has her dagger and she has needle. I don't remember what happens later on. Uh, what a fever dream. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think she uh, shoots at all later on, but I could see during the long night it would be very useful to be able to shoot flaming arrows, probably. Well, being able to shoot like terrifying ice demons from afar and take them out in general seems useful. Yeah. And, yeah. Trebuchet some burning babies. Um, and to that what? same point, <laughs> you know, I mean, to oh, that right. same point. That's, that's what R'hllor would do. That's what R'hllor would have <laughs> us do. But like you said, she's learning a lot about different weapons in the arsenal and different ways to operate within a group, outside of a group, solo, and all these different strategies. And she'll probably have to perfect some other weapons as well. Yeah. So you never know. It could happen. She's perfecting poison. <laughs> No, she is. She literally is. So is Sansa. That was her storyline. Um, mm-hmm. True. Aw, sisters. Aww. Perfecting poison together. I, I actually love that. <laughs> a mirish crossbowman pokes his head out and gets a bolt out, and then he ducks. 
And Arya hears fighting at the stables, the scream of horses and steel, and she thinks fiercely, kill them all, biting her lips so hard she tastes blood. Eventually, they start to smoke the men out of the septry with flaming arrows, and out comes two Ibanese mummers. Behind them, a Dothraki with a great curved rock, and behind him, three Valentine sellswords with face tattoos. Beric shouts, and the rest of his men come pouring in, steel in hand. Arya sees Lem's yellow cloak flapping as he rides after a man, and the battle continues. She spots Ned Dane fighting at Beric's side, and she thinks it's unfair. He's only a little older than her. She should be able to fight, too. So my hot take here is that when you're that age, like the two years age difference or however many years of age difference between them and like experience on the field does probably make a big difference in something like this. Also, he can probably actually fucking shoot a bow. Aria, so range attacks, but also she's a hostage and a very valuable one, and you don't just go out there fighting with your most expensive shit. It's interesting because he's basically, he's a squire. He is now a squire for Beric, where he grew up cupbearing. He was sent to be his cupbearer, if I remember, and we'll get into that next episode. I'm not going to go too far into Dane stuff today. You know, we've got a lot to cover still. That's next episode, because y'all know Arya 8 is coming up. Get some. Ashara Dane mention. Get some. Ashara Dane mention. But- but yeah, like, she's a hostage, though. Like, that's the other thing. So, like, he's been training for years with Beric, and he's supposed to. He was given to Beric as, like, part of a, yeah, fair deal. You marry Illyria, and here's Ned. He's going to come with you and be your little squire, your cupbearer, then your squire, and, you know, your page boy, and deal with him. That's our little that's our little family familial exchange going on. Uh, he's already expected to be on the field and fighting, but Arya, they can't risk that. She's worth so much money. They're not going to get money by returning Ned. This is literally what, Ned, as you said, this is what Ned's supposed to do. This is his career path. This is his internship. Mm-hmm. He's interning, getting on the job experience out there right now. But that said, like, it sucks because it's Westeros, obviously, so societally this isn't a thing. Girls get exchanged as hostages and they get to go, like, do their needlework and play and whatever. But why can't the more... You know, the women that want to go into battle, the kids that want to go into battle or learn swordsmanship and martial education, you know, like, why can't they go get it? I think like, so for example, during, granted, times were different during the Dance Mm -hmm. of the Dragons, you had women fighting, right? And they could, Mm -hmm. and that would be fine. I think it's partially, it's, for the most part, it's like her age and the hostage status, because like, you know, even Brienne is like, no, you're a fucking hostage. You're not going to fight, JB. Don't be silly. Yeah, it's really hot because that's such a big problem if something happens to her. Right. Like, that is the money. That's the money, Arya. Because then word gets out that they had Arya Stark as a hostage and then they lost her and she's dead, which is what the Lannisters are currently freaking out about having happened. That's true. I mean, like, A, they would be like, wow, that really sucks. That's big sad. But also they would be like, the money. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, like, the Starks would probably come down upon them once they learned. No one has to know. They don't have to know. Oh, my God. All right. Well, when the battle's won, the companions that are left either die or throw down their swords. Two Dothraki manage to flee, but only because Beric lets them, saying they can carry word back to Harrenhal. They search for captives in the burning town, and they find a Septon and Brown brothers, about eight of them. The Septon is not a new character to us, it's Septon Ut, who wails, I have sinned! Arya remembers Shagwell saying that Ut always wept and prayed for forgiveness after he killed his latest boy, and sometimes made the mummers scorch him. Ugh. Being, like, reminded of his crime slash seeing more of them firsthand in this chapter is awful, you know, 
pedophile, murderer, uh, the fact that it's a repeat offense, like his latest boy. He's killed many boys that he's sexually assaulted. Like, many, several. Like, also, George, can you remind me how you feel about organized religion really quickly? I just can't remember. Yeah, absolutely. It's a a really actually great exploration of, as you said the the flaws of that organized religion and the idea of like oh if i just scourge myself then i'm cleansed which it's cool yeah will be interesting theologically with some of the other things we discuss this chapter yeah beric slams his sword into its scabbard killing the flame and commands them to give the gift of mercy to the dying and bind the rest for trial the trials themselves go quickly the various men come forward to tell them the crimes of the brave companions burning crops, sacking villages, raping and murdering women, maiming and torturing men. We have this line of, I mean, again, coming back to, like, the fucking disgusting nature of Septon Ut, of a few spoke of the boys that Septon Ut had carried off. The Septon wept and prayed through it all. I am a weak reed. I prayed to the warrior for strength, but the gods made me weak. Have mercy on my weakness. The boys, the sweet boys, that never meant to hurt them. Septon Ut soon dangled beneath a tall elm, swinging slowly by the neck as naked as his name day. Good fucking riddance. Good riddance. True. God. Jeez. I just felt like it was such a focal horror point of the chapter that George, like, puts it in. He's like, anyways, moving on from that horror. Thanks, George. One by one, they put the brave companions captured on trial. Each are stripped, bound, and hanged. Tom of Seven plays a dirge for them on his wood harp. I imagine it's like, (laughs) it's probably really funny, actually. Uh, While Thoros implores the Lord of Light to air fry them, Arya watches them dangle from what she calls a mummer tree, engulfed by flames, and watches the arrival of crows to the death. They immediately arrive. I thought that was great. For crows. She had not feared. It's a feast for crows. Not yet. Not yet. Get ready, though. I can't wait. Oh my god, we get to do feast again. Oh, it's oh, yeah. so exciting. I love the Aria feast chapters a lot. Oh, it's gonna be fun. She had not feared Septon Ut as much as Rorge and Biter, but she's glad he's dead all the same. She can't fathom that they didn't kill Sandor, though. In fact, they healed him. They treated his arm, gave him his sword and horse, and sent him on his way. That is, after they stole his gold, which Arya doesn't have a great concept of, so she doesn't get that part's kind of a problem. That's true. She still hasn't really internalized the concept of money, has she? She's never had to. You're, wait, no, you're right. Like, all this time, like, even though she's struggling for, like, food and stuff, she'll, like, hunt pigeons or whatever, but she mm-hmm. still hasn't really understood the concept of money. And, and like, having it, it, or where it comes from, and what it does for you. Oh my god, I've not noticed that until now. Yeah. Interesting. I'm like, yeah, they really hooked him up, except they took all that money that would have provided him his only way to have a free life. Yeah, fascinating. So the septry collapses in on itself in smoke and flame eventually, and the Brown brothers who lived there watched in resignation. They tell the group that they were 44 men before the war, and that this place was full of life. They had cows, they had vineyards, they had beehives, they had an apple arbor. Honestly, it sounds fucking sick. I love it. Mm -hmm. And then came the lions who raised it all. Septon Ut had been one of the monsters who came to steal from them, but there was one worse before him. They had given this man all their silver, but he was certain that they were hiding gold so his men killed them one by one to make the elder brother talk this is so terrible and of course 
it elicits uh, immediately you know who it was right is there gold in the village how much how much keeping i I think it's great too it keeps tickler and poliver in our minds as we get physically Mm. closer to them on the road right because we're not too far behind meeting them again in their trail with Arya and sandor so it's great that george is bringing it back up right now yeah good point good point sprinkling seeds thanks thanks babe the elder brother tells them he's ashamed that he broke down and told the men where the gold was, but Thoros comforts him, saying the only shame was not telling them immediately. I actually love Thoros saying this, that the gold is not worth more than their lives, even though obviously mm-hmm. the gold is very important to them. But also like it speaks to this idea that what the elder brother did for the survival of all these people is not shameful, right? Giving up that monetary, like that worldly possession. And I mean, like, there are things that people might do out of survival or, like, claimer for survival that are, like, not excusable, obviously. But I think this is a good example of one that is. And, like, for example, like, cold hands feeding Bran and company a pig. Or, you know, in real life when people, like, cope using maladaptive strategies or whatever, which, you know, people should work on unlearning and healing. But I also understand like why some of the other brothers slash this one didn't do it immediately because, you know, there's also no guarantee that if they tell them where the gold is, like, are they going to just be fucking killed anyway? Would it be in vain? Because it definitely was for the other Tickler victims, right? Like they would just like give up the information and then the Tickler would kill them anyway. So it's like a pretty, it's a pretty difficult gamble. Yeah, I mean, it's a, a very specific kind of device used usually, right? Where you have like... Uh, I mean, any book has some sort of torturing in in the face of giving away something, and it's like, by giving that away, are you giving up your soul? And are you ethically, like, should you hold out and die instead of giving this thing away? But it's just gold. It's just yeah. fucking gold. You can't take it when you die. Yeah. I mean, I guess they could have used it to take care of the other people, but, like, you can't do that if you're dead. Well, and it's interesting having this be the focal point in the front half of the chapter and then having mm, Sandor's true. gold being the focal point in the second half of the chapter and him trying to chase back with gold. Good point. They don't give him his gold back. Poor yeah. fucker. Literally. Um. Literally. That night, they stay in the brew house by the river and they eat a very simple supper from their hosts. Oat bread onions, and a watery cabbage soup with a very faint garlic taste. Hmm. Arya's soup has a carrot floating in it, and she considers herself very lucky. That's so beautiful, though. They don't have anything to give, and yet they still give. Yeah. The brothers don't ask for their names, but Arya thinks they must know. How couldn't they know who we literally are? Like, look at the men around us. So they fucking know. Obviously they know. And, like, Arya points it out by, like, observing the symbols, the sigils, right? And then also the actions, these all kind of create a narrative and a story that lets people know who exactly they are without them even having to give their actual names. And then I think that's really interesting when you look at the flip side of that, of like what happens when you let the symbols stand in for a name because of what happens with the Hound's Helm later on. Yes. Yeah, that's a great point. Like symbols versus people. Yeah. And then we have this like interesting back and forth that one of the brothers is like, don't pray to your false god under our roof. And Lem is like, excuse me, like my god is way better than your god. Your god, the smith, can mend a sword, but not a broken ass man. And I'm like, is that true though? Slash gestures wildly at the quiet aisle. Story Just left. grave digging. Just grave digging. But I honestly, actually, it's kind of interesting as a question because I'm not sure that... 
I'm not sure that Relore actually does do much to heal broken man, like, a broken man in the soul. Like, I'm not sure... Like, their religion probably has the capacity to do so, maybe? Unsure? I, I, I'm not, like, super... Yeah, it super doesn't seem like it their... heals a soul, considering Catalan did not come back very soulful. Well, it's also built on, like, slavery and shit, so I don't know. And, like, some of their tenants, but maybe it does. You know, some people, they just, like, really find healing through religion. But, you know, I think of, like, Stannis' place on the path to become a broken man because of R'hllor. Like, literally, that's how he's gonna start getting there. And then, I don't know, you also have, like, the Faith Militant. Like, they're not necessarily made up of, like, all broken men, though probably a lot of them are. They're on a path to religious extremism. So, yeah, again, like... There are people for whom religion does offer that path of healing because, again, quiet aisle shit, mending from brokenness. But it's also kind of like, is that person open to change? So the smith can yeah. heal you. At the very base, you have to be open to that change and empowering mm-hmm. yourself, too, is the more important part. And like coming to that point where you're ready to yeah. see that. And, and, you know, it's funny because Barrick's men don't take his side there on that. But Barrick takes <laughs> the side of the faith and yeah. he says, yes, we'll honor your house wishes. And I like that. I really appreciate, yeah. in this chapter especially, I think this su- it's such a great introspective look at Beric and Thoros because they are more figureheads that aren't speaking in the last couple chapters. And you have Jack B. Lucky and Angai and Lem really speaking up and like voicing the personalities that they have are what you're thinking of when you're thinking of the mm. Brotherhood because you don't know much about Beric or Thoros yet. And here Beric shows that he's a leader, right? Yeah. That he has a different agenda and view than his men do. And it's why Sandor does get let go despite his crimes in the eyes of everyone else. Beric does or did stand to do some good. And I think there's also more to be said about you know, Beric especially, finding that common ground between religion and finding that way to coexist rather than eradicating every other religion in favor of what your own beliefs are or, or or are not. I think there's something to speak to, like, the character of a character like that, of someone who's able to balance some of those ideas, like Beric, who's leading this rogue group of men, but also trying to bring some sort of justice and balance and some sort of life to the Riverlands in many ways, I guess, bringing life to the Riverlands. Yeah. I think that's a great point because it shows like how much of a difference the leadership and the philosophies of the leader can like have on that group. And I mean, Beric and Thoros, they, they seem like they're very gracious in, in this mm-hmm. chapter. Like you, they're inspiring because I mean, they're pretty fucking level headed. And I even appreciate like Thoros's faith in this and being like, yeah, I mean, you know, Relor's like, it's so strong that he's like, We'll be fine missing a prayer or two. He's like a small lapse in dogma does not supersede the spirit of like our faith, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. I thought that was a pretty good good example of that as opposed to again the extremism happening elsewhere. Right. It's like Thoros has seen it, so he believes it. And a lot of these other people believe in the miracles, the the Jesus of the Riverlands that's yeah. here in the Riverlands. He's bringing uh, and they've grown so much in number, as we saw at the Hollow Hill. And I think that as a leader, too, they have a very slippery slope. And it's what leads up this boiling pot up before the schism of the group, before they break apart and before the Stoneheart situation kind of gets a little more, a little, little riled up in the whole group. Like any moment, and even with Sandor's trial, Sandor's trial had to happen because this could turn into a mob, an unruly mm. mob at any moment of people that have lived under 
disparity, that are hungry, that are sick, that have no home, right, that are unhoused in the Riverlands. Like, this has led to, like, all of this boiling pot that any minute it could all rip over this scene right here and their men that follow them, even Lem. Like, Lem is a little shit stirrer this entire story. You know, he's kind of rowdy. He likes to be like, oh, yeah, he's like the Amos, the Expanse Amos here. He's ready to fight. Uh, And and Boros and Beric have to keep a steady head, which seems to be hard for Beric. He's always losing (laughs) body parts here. But they have to keep that because it could boil over any minute. There's also something that you said about Thoros as well. And, and, like, the way that he's doing his religion that made me realize, like, Thoros is doing this kiss of life thing. Do you think, do you think Thoros, how would he feel about the idea of sacrificing people? I don't know that he would be, I don't know, I'm not sure that he would be that open to it, right? Like, doing the fire burning sacrifice. Maybe. Like, putting I don't know. Shireen he might be in front of him right now, like, in order to stop the others, maybe. In order to stop the others. I don't know. You're right. Maybe he would because he'd be like, there's no shame in, you know, that one thing. Yeah. But, like, I think I also he's, don't like, know. down to sacrifice for the greater good. That's true. Okay. I don't know. For it's others. Interesting. We'll see. Interesting. I mean, I wonder if he'll be put in a position to mm. make human sacrifices at some point. Hmm. Yeah, I think there's going to be a little, there's probably a little extremism coming with uh, R'hllor in some aspects. I guess, now that you say it. I, I mean, we're, we're already kind of there, I think, with uh, <laughs> the way that Solis is leading everyone. Yeah, exactly. It's it's heating up, no pun intended. <laughs> or pun intended. Or whatever. pun intended. Are you ready <laughs> for the puns? Um. Arya notices Beric doesn't eat, and nor does he sleep. She watches him sleeping, quote-unquote, in his breastplate, though he opens his eye immediately when he's spoken to. That's me. That's so me, for real. <laughs> His armor hides his wounds, but nothing hides his head. It's all caved in at the temple, or his missing eye, or the shape of his skull beneath his face. Ooh, described like Stannis there, eh? Mm, uh, Dance Stannis. He seems to fear, uh, he seems to sense fear in him, though. Uh, he seems to sense Arya's fear in him, though. And he's like, do I frighten you? Ooh, very Sansa Sandor. She <laughs> tells him no, but she thought the Hound had killed him for a little bit there. Lem tells Arya that Thoros healed Beric. There's never been a better healer than Thoros. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. <laughs> There's been a lot of better healers, first of all, because I think Thoros is literally, he's literally not a healer. Like, I think healing someone is not the same as just, like, hitting continue on the fucking video game screen. And yeah. healing is restorative, and what Beric is does not seem restorative, especially after Mm-mm. this description from Arya. And I think it's interesting that Beric knows that and understands that, and he also is like thinks it's so weird that Lem would say all that and believes it because Lem is lying to himself. And Beric's yeah, to make it feel not weird. On. Yeah, well, no, I mean Beric's like, no, it's fucking weird. Let me tell you. Yeah, because, like, Lem seriously is probably saying it to make himself feel better that he follows a fucking zombie that won't die and just keeps coming back. But each time he comes back, he's worse. He's not better. Honestly, there's no shame in following, like, if you saw someone come back six or seven times, as you said last last chapter, like, oh my god, that would, that would fucking convince me. Yeah, I'd be like, alright, maybe this guy knows something I don't, but... Right? <laughs> Like, I don't really support the other leaders we have, but, you know, if that happened, maybe I'd be interested. Come on now. Uh, I mean, that's what happens for Daenerys' storyline, right? She goes in the pyre and everyone's like, oh my god, she didn't die and there's fucking three dragons. Okay, I'm convinced. 
The unburnt. Mm -hmm. Fuck yeah. Thoros has brought Beric back six times. Each time gets harder. A seventh death, he says, could be the end for both of them. Hmm. Beric then showcases, hmm, right? What a hmm. number. Beric showcases his many wounds. The spot above his left ear, where his temple caved in, was from Sir Burton Craighall. The black bruise around his neck, is, which is not an OPA tattoo <laughs> from the Expanse, by the way, but a mark the Manticore made at Rushing Falls after seizing a poor beekeeper and his wife who he confused for Beric. He hanged all three of them anyway. And then the red pit of his eye is thanks to the mountain. He's died three times at the hands of House Clegane now. He says that you think he'd have learned. It's a joke, Arya realizes, but it's a joke that no one wants to laugh at. I do love that Beric jokes about it, though, even though no one else finds it funny. I don't know if I have a good way of explaining it, really, other than, like, I don't know. He feels the need to make light of something heavy. Like, what do you fucking do if you've died six times yeah. and you, you're whatever, whatever he describes as happening next? Like, what else do you do but make a joke of it? Exactly. That's all you can do, because otherwise, I mean, what happens with the seventh? <laughs> yeah. He put a hand on Lord Beric's shoulder. Best not to dwell on it. Can I dwell on what I scarce remember? I held a castle on the marches once, and there was a woman I was pledged to marry. But I could not find that castle today, nor tell you the color of that woman's hair. Who knighted me, old friend? What were my favorite foods? It all fades. Sometimes I think I was born on the bloody grass, in that grove of ash, with the taste of fire in my mouth and a hole in my chest. Are you my mother, Thoros? Arya stared at the mirish priest, all shaggy hair and pink rags and bits of old armor. Gray stubble covered his cheeks and the sagging skin beneath his chin. He did not look much like the wizards in the old Nan stories, but even so. Could you bring back a man without a head? Just the once, not six times, could you? I have no magic, child, only prayers. That first time his lordship had a hole right through him and blood in his mouth, I knew there was no hope. So when his poor torn chest stopped moving, I gave him the good god's own kiss to send him on his way. I filled my mouth with fire and breathed the flames inside him, down his throat to lungs and heart and soul. The last kiss it is called, and many a time I saw the old priest bestow it on the lord's servants as they died. I had given it a time or two myself, as all priests must, but never before had I felt a dead man shudder as the fire filled him nor seen his eyes come open. It was not me who raised him, my lady. It was the Lord. Relore is not done with him yet. Life is warmth, and warmth is fire. And fire is God's and God's alone. Arya felt tears well in her eyes. Thoros had used a lot of words, but all they meant was no. That much she understood. Oh. Oh. Just yeah, the I agree, Arya. He said a lot of stuff there. Just the what's? Yeah, it's pretty terrible. But you know what, Arya? You just buckle up, baby girl. They're gonna hook you up on the other side of oh things. My God. Some. You know, we just love a girl who has unresolved mommy issues, don't we, folks? Yes. Arya does though. That's the that's that's George being you know, gender egalitarian. You know he <laughs> fuck he well he really does more so in like Fire and Blood, mm -hmm. which I love. But like oh know, yeah, 
he he explores daddy issues a lot, but this is our time for for mommy issues. Yes, got a shout out to my girlies. Uh, this is a lovely speech. Obviously, it's one of the most beautiful passages of this kind of section of the book. George outsold. Uh, are you my mother? Is like the most fucking holy shit. Like just all of it is just like so unsettling and sad. Like it, it's like he respawns like he's in a video game. You know, he dies, he wakes, and he's like, "Wow, I've been born for the first time, except maybe not the first time." <laughs> Terrible. But also, it's really fucking funny in this speech because he's like, I don't remember the chick I was supposed to marry when her nephew oh was like right there. And then also, we don't know Illyria Dane, his betrothed's hair color, because George himself hasn't told us. So how is George oh, going to sit here? Yeah, George is sitting here and he's like, I don't even know the color of her hair. I'm like, that's because you haven't told us, bitch. George is projecting. George is yeah. projecting. He doesn't It was kind of funny. I'm like, will you tell me, though? You could tell me, George. Please tell me. Please? <laughs> Eventually, maybe. Probably. At least she has a name. Fuck. True. I don't know. I'm just gonna say this line again, like I say all the fucking time, because I never shut up about it, and that's basically what the speech is about, of look to your call and see what life is worth when all the rest is gone. So yeah, very much that line from Miri, but also, I thought this was interesting from Thor's The Life is Warmth and Warmth is Fire, especially contrasted with Maester Eamon's Fire Consumes but Cold Preserves. Mm-hmm. Line. Yeah, it's interesting, it. especially like there are two views of fire across the uh, the landscape of Aeswaf, it seems, of it either consuming or being a life power. Yeah, exactly. So it's a weapon that can get out of hand. That's for sure. It's probably I mean, it's probably kind of both, right? Like, yeah, fire is literally not great, but it is both life giving and mm-hmm. very scary. Beric tells Arya that Ned was a good man. Harwin told him enough for him to know that. He'd forego the ransom in Ned's name, but they really need the Arya Stark gold treatment here. <laughs> Arya kind of understands this. She had already watched them give the hounds gold away to send Greenbeard and the Huntsmen south of the Mander to buy provisions for the small folk and for themselves. Just learning what money is. You can really tell that Beric was a head of house and a lord of lands before all of this, because the way that he's... You know, Arya observes him distributing things and all these resources and thinking about what they need and all these logistics. Like, that's exactly what a lord would or should do to make sure that the needs of his people are met. Yeah, and you can even more so tell he's a young lord because he still cares. Oh, true. And because he had to become, he he probably became a young lord or he became a lord younger than you know, expected even. Mm. He's, like you mentioned last chapter, he's young 20s, so for him to have been head of house and had to have, like, kind of immediately taken all that on his shoulders, he's taking it seriously. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because he is younger than Sandor. He's like, what the fuck is this old man of 27, 28 (laughs) doing? God. Oh my god, Sandor's younger than I am. I'm gonna shoot myself. When did that happen? Sandor's been younger than us for a while. Okay, maybe not a while, a couple years, yeah. For me, it's been a while, sorry. It's only been a couple years for me. I'm older than Peter Baelish. And Tyrion. Creepier, too. I'm also, oh, okay, great. I'm also older than Tyrion. Uh, Arya asks, what if my brother doesn't want to ransom me? She tells them, she's messy, she's dirty, she's uncouth, she ruins dresses, she can't sing or sew. Why would her family want her back? Rob wouldn't care about that. Probably, but her mother would. Lady Catelyn always wanted her to be just like Sansa, to sing and dance and sew and mind her courtesies. 
Just thinking of it made Arya try to comb her hair with her fingers. <laughs> but it was all tangles and mats, and all she did was tear some out. Oh, Arya. She argues, it's so sad, she argues with Gendry about having blacksmith's hands. It's a very cute exchange, actually. And Thoros is yeah. laughing about it, and he's like, of course your brother's going to pay for you. All he has to do is look at you. I know, right? Ugh. And I think it's kind of funny because, like, first of all, I'm like, Arya, your mother would be so proud. She would be so proud of all of these crimes. You've committed all these people that you've killed. <laughs> probably. Um, worried baby is also a word I would use. Yeah. Yes. She would probably be worried. I mean, I would be worried too if my child was all like, I've killed so many people. Also, Catelyn already, as we've mentioned in the past, previous chapters, gave up a priceless hostage just for like the hope of you. Not even the guarantee, just the hope. And... Rob legit might not do it, but I think that Beric is kind of right that Rob would do it. He would pay, especially if Arya was right there. And if it were like only for gold, if the price is only gold, because mm -hmm. I think it's too dishonorable slash unchivalric, but like too dishonorable to not buy her back. Like that's he just can't bad afford PR. for his men to see her not buying her back. <laughs> yeah, that's just bad PR. Yeah. And I also love this detail where she's like, I don't know, my mom said I have blacksmith's hands and Gendry laughing. I'm like, what the fuck do you mean? You are too soft to have blacksmith hands. I'm like, girl, you don't even know what money is. <laughs> it's also like something that I could totally hear Catalan saying. And it reminds me of my mom just saying like stupid ass shit like that where you're like, what? No, I don't. <laughs> like, really it's a total... Yeah. <laughs> it's just funny, the standards that mamas put upon their children sometimes. Yeah, so uh, true. It makes me giggle. Ha 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 ha. Is that what heart. it makes us feel? <laughs> giggle? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's the girlies with the mommy issue. So if Rob does not take her back, Beric said that he would send her maybe to the Lady Smallwood or maybe even to his home, Blackhaven. But it won't be necessary. He can't bring her dad back, but he can get her back to her family. She asks if he swears, and he says, on his honor as a knight. Well, 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 let me tell you, you can't really get her back to her family, but you can bring her family back to her, eh? eh? Right? Huh? Like, I love that the line there is specifically about returning her to her mother's arms. And I'm like, oh. Uh, yeah. Part of me wonders if that's, like, why he did it, besides the part where, you know, Beric's probably just like, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, too. I think he knew he owed it to her, to that little, little weasel. <laughs> yeah, right. So the rain pours down, and later Lem returns to the brew house. Angai and Jack be lucky, play dice, but Jack has no luck. Tom strums his wood harp, playing... He plays a whole set here. He goes, the mother's tears when Willem's wife was wet. Lord Hart, with an E, so maybe that Lord. Lord Hart <laughs> rode, out, rode out on a rainy day. These are all part of his playlist. But then he plays a song that we know and love, hate very well. The Reigns of Castamere. Y'all know this one. Sing along, you know. I mean, Stream oh, Reigns of Castamere. I was like, this is not my best yeah, singing voice sing this week. You don't have to sing it, Eliana. That's okay. We don't have to actually sing it. We we know it. Y'all know it. Put on Sigur Ross, you know, let it stream. <laughs> let it play in your ears. That's who, who wrote the song. They wrote the song. They <laughs> were they, there when the brains died. Like, who came up with the melody for this? Probably them. Huh. Maybe someone else did, but I think they might have. 
I don't know. I don't know how that works. I wasn't there in those uh those conversations. Yeah, I don't really know how production for like the melodies of these things work. I love that Tom is just playing his favorite rainy day Spotify playlist that he's curated. <laughs> he's his just like list. me for real, for real. Yeah, he's like, and I have a playlist. It's called Rainy Day, his day list. Uh, this is the third mention of the Reigns of Castamir. Okay, so mm. third mention. Love the way that George was introducing this song in A Storm of Swords. The first mention is a Tyrion chapter a bit ago when they hear of Rob and Jane getting together, referencing Tyrion's, Tywin's wrath and vengeance on the reins. Uh, we have that line, The crag is not so far from Tarbeck Hall and Castamere, Tyrion pointed out. You'd think the Westerlings might have ridden past and seen the lesson there. Then the second mm. mention is Jamie 3, that chapter passed, and it's, of course, a threat. Shall I sing you a verse of the reins of Castamere? The goat won't be quite so brave when my father gets a hold of him. And even a reminder of his father's wrath, because he also says, a noose is kinder than what he'll get from my father, which is very thematic for this chapter. We have a lot of talk of nooses and uh, hangings when it comes to the brotherhood and what they say to Gendry later, right? About, you know, you may end up with a noose around your neck. Be careful, boy. And now we have this third mention, which is a really interesting spin, right? Because it's being played as that rainy day medley from Thomas Seven, especially considering the Brotherhood has set out to bring justice to the Lannister regime's crimes using their own song against them. <laughs> right? Uh, I thought that was interesting. It's just like an interesting, aha, all sides hear this song. Or maybe Honestly, just though, like, what a banger. Yeah, what a banger. I mean, you can't, it's a bop. It's a classified certified yeah, gold bop. Yeah. For real. Golden bop. <laughs> Honestly, a couple of these songs did stand out to me in title because they're new hits that we haven't heard. Uh, yes, Lord Heart, it's Lord's fourth album, Riding Out on a Rainy Day. Oh my no, god. No, I... It's you the heard opposite it of Solar, or whatever. Sorry, <laughs> solar what? Power? Yeah, Solar Power. It's the Or whatever it is. <gasps> sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm gonna try you for your crimes. <laughs> Calling for Lore right now. Holy fucking shit. Um... <laughs> I wonder, this is interesting, so there are a handful of hearts in the story. They're sworn to the Baratheons. I wonder if this is about Lord Hart in The Dance of the Dragons, because he was arrested. This goes back, back in Princess and the Queen. He was one of the people that were arrested for supporting Rhaenyra and beheaded for it and had put on spikes at King's Ooh. Landing. Yeah, which I thought was interesting because obviously we didn't have fire and blood at this point. George had the Princess and the Queen working. He... uh he has the hearts, even in this book, though, they're sworn to the Baratheons. So it's also a nice meta echo, right, of the differing loyalties happening across Westeros for Joffrey Baratheon, quote unquote, uh, for the hearts in the story supporting Rhaenyra, who had the Baratheon support, etc. So I don't know, just interesting. A nice little meta echo of just playing with some of these houses that are still players in today's game. Yeah, that's really interesting, because now it makes me wonder if, like, Obviously, we don't get too, too much detail yet in the books, but it, like maybe it's something they would expand upon. With, like, like maybe it was raining that the day. Show. Yeah. Because we know the storm at Shipbreaker's Bay. Storm's End. And yeah. the sky, you know, it sounds like it was probably raining around then. Very interesting. Interesting. Which is funny because Storm of Swords, where everything is just a rain. Literally, every episode yeah. is raining. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of rain. It's not raining today. It's threatening. But... Yeah, then there's When Willem's Wife Was Wet. That could be about anyone. And I'm going to guess it's attributed to a name because it's not like Lord Willem. It's, or it's not like the House Willem. There is a House Willem. But uh, I'm just going to pass on this one because it's not like attributed. It's just like what Willem could be anyone. His wife could have been anyone. And she's wet, dude. Yeah, anyone's wife can be wet. That's what Good it's for about. Willem. You yeah. can make your wife wet right anyone's now. Anyone's wife could be wet. 
Yeah. Yeah. Happy for them. Yeah, good. Um, keep her keep her going, you know? Hydrate so you can keep your wife wet. <laughs> Rainy day. Um for them. So eventually Tom runs out of rain songs and Arya stands on one leg and listens to the other's chatter and Merritt complains about his horse throwing a shoe and Gendry pipes up and he's like, Oh, I could chew that horse for you. And in fact, Gendry can do a lot for the Brotherhood if they'd have him. Gendry gets on one knee before Lord Beric and is like, hire me. He offers his services to Smith for them. It won't be glamorous like River Run won't be, but all Gendry wants is a forge, food, and somewhere to sleep. What an interesting job interview. And Arya realizes that, oh, that means he's leaving her too. And... I'm also realizing that despite Arya feeling this abandonment right now, Gendry probably also feels like Arya is leaving him. Speaking of like other people's emotions and motivations, like ladies don't just hang out with blacksmiths, Arya. Like even if he did come along and was employed by her family, like, you know, if she's getting sold back, like that's all that's happening. He also just might not be able to come along. She's leaving. Even if he could be a blacksmith at Riverrun, like, she couldn't just stay there and hang out all day in the smithy with him, you know? Like, he'd have to work. He has to work to now – she doesn't understand that he has to work to earn slash Money? get his place. Well, yeah, in his place cool. in this world. Yeah. Like, he yeah. isn't just allowed to be in high society. She will be welcomed back by her family. He has no family to welcome him back, and her family has no reason to welcome him. That is not true. Gendry has family to welcome him back. They just might also burn him. <sighs> Beric is surprised that Gendry would be willing to give up a life where he could work for a lord instead, and is like, okay, but why? Why do you want to be here? None of us want to be here. At the Hollow Hill, what you said about being King Robert's men and brothers, I liked that. I liked that you gave the Hound a trial. Lord Bolton just hanged folk or took off their heads. Lord Tywin and Sir Amory were the same. I'd sooner smith for you. I just thought that first line was kind of funny of what you said about being King Robert's men and brothers. Like, <laughs> You're not his brother, but you are his man in a different way. <laughs> You're definitely his man. From his seed. His seed <laughs> created this man. Is the seed. Uh, <laughs> it is strong. Seed. He is pretty strong. Gentry is pretty strong. Yeah, he's a strong boy. A strapping, oh. very strong boy. Jack reminds Beric that they do have mail to be mended, but Lem calls Gendry a lackwit and reminds him that they're outlaws. First of all, rude. Um, most of them are lowborn scum. You won't be stealing kisses from a princess. I mean, he could. Or ride in tourneys in stolen armor. Goes, you'll end with your neck in a noose or your head mounted up above some castle gate, as you were talking about earlier. Yeah, noose, 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 noose coming back. That does happen, as we see, right? People, uh, I think of Podrick and Brienne yeah. and Jamie and such sword. I do wonder if that's foreshadowing. I also love it's like kind of worded almost similarly to Arya's needle foreshadowing line. Mm. Well, as we talked earlier about Arya's death in the plot, but you'll end with your neck in a noose or your head mounted above some castle gate. But also I'm wondering if it's foreshadowing because of your head mounted up above some castle gate. Ooh, we talked a little bit about the yeah. bullhelm as Gendry's sigil, if he takes a sigil, if he becomes a ruler in some sort of way. Yeah, worse than dying. Now you serve and rule part of Westeros. Interesting. I wonder if this is foreshadowing to him being a lord of something. Storm's I think, End. 
I think you're right. I think it is. And honestly, though, now that you've said that, like the sigil above the castle gate like that, I'm like, this is a ranch. <laughs> when you think of the imagery of the bull's horns Dutton above. Ranch. You know, the, the Baratheon ranch. Yellowstone. Um, oh my god. And yes, yes, absolutely. Um, also, like, as you said about Podrick and Brienne, I mean, like, you know. Whose head hasn't been, like, a little bit in a noose in the story at least once, you know? Are you even a character? You haven't been threatened with a noose once, and... As you said, like, is it a fate worse than dying? Like, it's interesting because... Gendry swearing himself to the Brotherhood without banners... Honestly, he's kind of getting the life that Robert wanted and never got mm -hmm. to have. Robert was like, Ned, let's just run away and, like, live our lives and be free and fucking fight yeah i think like gendry despite it all he kind of has the freedom that his father never had like his hammer kind of gives him a little bit more flexibility in that and being anonymous gives him that flexibility in the way that being mm -hmm. anonymous gave Arya freedom until like then they knew she was Arya. then suddenly she was a hostage right that gives you them freedom to build the life that they want Instead of, like, I don't know, Robert's hammer, like, Gendry's hammer, it builds things and it builds protection. Robert's hammer, mm. like, only destroyed, only killed. Yeah. And through it, he ends up building something. He builds himself a cage of the Iron Throne. So, wow. I think that's Wow. Wow. No, that was so good, Bastie. Holy shit. Like, Thank because you. he's his hammer is a war hammer, where Gendry's yes. is a smith's hammer. And we talk about the smith in this chapter. Oh, true. Right, in general. We did. In general, Full the circle. smith is the patron saint. That's the aspect of the, that's their aspect they follow of the seven at that sceptre. Healing. Healing. The smith can, in fact, heal. Oh my god, Gendry wow. is healing. Gendry is positive masculine. Gendry and though. nature are healing. Wow. Wow. Also, Gendry joining, I will say this last thing, the Brotherhood Without Banners, that's a more informed decision than John made when John was like, I'm going to join this militia. <laughs> yeah, I think John would have loved to do a little Googling now that he's there. You know, he's like, damn, yeah. should have done a little more research. This should sucks. have looked at the about page on this company first. He's probably like, still better than my bitch stepmom. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no one likes me. Speaking of mommy issues... Uh, yeah, there's some major issues for him there. Gendry's happy with this idea of smithing, and everyone's Aww. happy with him as smith. They close the deal, Same. and Beric asks for his sword, which he hands over. This time, the Lightning Lord did not set the blade afire, but merely laid it light on Gendry's shoulder. Gendry, do you swear before the eyes of gods and men to defend those who cannot defend themselves, to protect all women and children, to obey your captains? your liege lord, and your king, to fight bravely when needed and do other, do such other tasks as are laid upon you, however hard or humble or dangerous they may be. I do, my lord. The marcher lord moved the sword from the right shoulder to the left and said, Arise, Sir Gendry, knight of the Hollow Hill, and be welcome to our brotherhood. Wow. Wow. So but that moment's interrupted. <laughs> <laughs> Sandra's like, people are graduating. Um, oh my god, imagine Thomas Seven like playing that on the harp as this happens. <laughs> From the door comes a growling, rasping laughter. The hound has it's returned. My man. 
man. This is some fucking Maleficent coded shit. <laughs> He's returned. The Hound has returned to laugh about Beric making yet another night, saying that, oh, he should kill him for that one. And Sandor is, as expected, pretty pissed that they left him with zero gold to live on. Like, they could have left him a couple of stags, as, as Chloe says. She's like, damn, guys. This is her notes. And the argument begins. The Brotherhood says, be thankful we didn't kill you. And Sandor in his head, like... Sandor in his head is like, bitch, I wish I was dead. It's true. Uh, of course, they're like, we're not giving you any gold back. We sent it south of the Mander. And Gendry speaks up. He's like, it's to feed all the crops you burnt. I would like <laughs> to add um, a, a contextual community note. Sandor Clegane did not burn any crops. Yeah. First of all, last person to be burning anything. Sandor Clegane, <laughs> the man who afraid of fire. This is false propaganda he was not there he did not burn crops he would never do that again it's actually fascinating that they do that because they've literally seen they've literally seen him be terrified of the fire he literally cried 12 hours ago in front of them he's like, like what burned. more do you want i'm, yeah. I'm small baby i'm burned um fascinating he asks if they're going to knight the eight-year-old girl too and Arya lies all these saying i'm 12 and i could be a knight if i wanted and i could have killed you if lem hadn't taken my knife there's some like old vine that i used to love that was like how old are you anyways nine first of all i'm 10 so shut the fuck up the girl responds <laughs> it's like on the bus and that's literally what this is um, this. i love that she's such a little fucking opportunist she's like oh this is a great time to trick them all into thinking i'm 12 so maybe they'll let me be a squire too oh Just my like god that. you're right that's, that's actually all she's it. thinking about it's kind of funny because like if anyone's like birth date is chronicled somewhere it's literally Arya starks <laughs> yeah for real <laughs> if anyone's birth date is like written down of this group yeah yeah so there's uh, a back and forth between <laughs> between. I mean, Beric's also, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have a back and forth. Complain to Lem, not me. And tuck your tail between your legs and run. Do you know what dogs do to wolves? Next time I will kill you. I'll kill your brother too. No. His dark eyes narrowed. That you won't. Mm. I do know what dogs do to wolves because I've read several fanfics about it. We don't have to talk about it. That's a different like story. <laughs> sure, sweetheart. And whatever you say, Eliana. But also, so sad that you won't. You won't kill my brother because that's his kill. He plans to make that kill. Guys, he does not plan to let Arya make that kill. Yes. More arguing. Everyone draws their swords. Sandor finally sulks out, internally wounded as fuck, looking like he's memorizing the face of every man in the building, and he disappears into the dark, pouring rain without a word. So moody. I know, I love him. Uh. He broods. That's my man's. I was so excited when he showed back up. I don't even care that he's Maleficent as shit. It's absolutely, like, Maleficent shit. I was not invited to this birth. Um... So there's this interesting line where Sandor says that the Lord of Light says he was guiltless, so just, like, fucking give it to me. And Thoris corrects him, saying, the Lord of Light gave you back your life. Which I think is, like, an interesting, like, theological but also legal distinction between how the trials function within the system. Because turns out the trial by combat isn't actually about conviction, right? It's not about, like, whether someone is guilty or not about the crimes. But the trial of combat, even though it's called a trial, is actually about sentencing, right? It's kind of like this justice versus mercy idea. And then it kind of then says that 
under this idea of relore, but also maybe this justice system, like none of us are guiltless as well, which is I think what Christianity would also say about us. Like none of us are guiltless. And therefore you live by God's will, allegedly, like mm -hmm. relore's will. And that's why they keep saying like, oh, there's probably still a purpose for your life. And I think it's more of like an, if you would choose to make a purpose for your life, but whatever. So I just thought that was really interesting that Thoros clarifies, no, you're still guilty. You're just allowed to live. And I think it's also interesting that Sandor, as a side note, doesn't seem to get a good look at Gendry, but maybe he's just like hungover during the times that he does. But also I'm like, I don't know. Like Sandor did spend a lot of time around Robert, though now I'm like, maybe he mostly spent time around like later Robert, who probably looks real different from the version of Robert mm -hmm. that Gendry looks like yeah i definitely think that's probably like the more the the yeah. uh, more in-universe answer to that because technically so sandor joins the lannister army you know probably 15 ish 13 to 15 years old somewhere in that range so yeah. he's only been there like 10 to 15 years but to your point he should remember robert but like 10 years of robert is pretty much probably what he saw so probably yeah. the last 10 years where he's been a little ascetic Yep. Also, to your point, very hungover. Does not give a shit about that boy. Yeah, and right now he's probably just like, whatever. Who's this fucking One-track gold-minded man. Yeah. Harwin says he better go check on their sentries and see if Sandor killed them. Lem wonders how Sandor got that much gold anyway, and Angai's like, oh, he won the tourney in King's Landing. Angai had knows. won money too. Yeah, yeah, right? Everyone knows that. Angai had won money too, but he laughs because he had met Dancy, Jade, and Aliaya, who taught him what roast swan tastes like and how to bathe in arbor wine. But he did buy some nice boots and a dagger, he says. Jack jokes he should have bought land and made one of those girls an honest woman, raised a crop of turnips and sons. Thoros ignores all this banter, and he tells them Sandor's lost more than just gold. He lost his master, his kennel. He can't go back to the Lannisters. The young wolf won't have him, and Gregor sure won't take him. You know, in like past reads i've been like you know thoros he's okay he's an interesting dude i guess whatever but i i'm really starting to appreciate him more like i just i appreciate thoros's display of sympathy here right he's not absolving sandor of anything but i think like you know it makes sense for him to be like yo that's probably all that man had to everyone else and setting that sort of perspective because i don't think you have to go through war to become a broken man Though Thoros did fight in some wars, as we know. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like Thoros was a broken man, right? Like, right alongside Robert in regards to that alcoholism that that he was going through alongside drinking Buddy Robert. And so I love that he brings that sort of perspective and compassion to these things. Yeah, it makes me think a lot about Aaron, right? When mm. we covered Aaron, we talked about some of their similarities. But very much like Aaron, they True. both broke before they were able to kind of find religion and find something that put them on a path that was better than where they were. Actually, it was Thoros Sandor's not too far from them. He always joked about it, right? Like, what was the joke? That he became a red priest because the robes hid wine stains, and he loved that. But, I don't know, he was born in Mir, given to a red temple at a young age. He had no real choice in it. Yeah. He actually was sent to, like, wasn't he sent to, like, try to proselytize and convert Ares? Yeah, they're like, that man likes fire. Maybe we have a chance to convert him. If anyone is able to give any sympathy or empathy to Sandor, it would be him. Mm. True. If anyone understands fire can be scary. Mm -hmm. Wadi the Miller comments that Sandor would come back to kill them in their sleep, but Beric says no. 
Sandor would kill us all gladly, but never in our sleep. Dogs have more honor than that, you know, just saying. Thoros commands them that if they see Sandor sniffing around, they should kill his horse. The other men say they should kill him and keep the horse, because they think they could control that horse. Okay. Uh, Beric refuses, saying Sandor won his life from the Lord of Light, and they will not rob him of it. The Lord of Light is not yet done with Joffrey's hound, it would seem. Mm. Yeah, a man with absolutely nothing left. Sure, kill his horse. That'll go really well for his debilitated mental health. Let's just do that, motherfuckers. I'm glad that Beric thinks Sandor has more to finish in this world and lets him go, because this isn't easy for Sandor to do. Like, do you know how desperate and broken and, like, with nowhere to go, directionless, you'd have to be to go back to the place where the guys that took your money and beat you (laughs) up on a trial just to hope that you can maybe intimidate some of your money back out of them. Like, think of that for a minute. You have to go to a, like, septry in area full of brotherhood who have weapons and hidey holes, and this is their terrain. And Sandor, a man who is afraid, and it lets him be brave, comes back to try to get anything back. Like, the sheer desperation. He has nothing. His horse is literally all he has, his horse and sword. He has no home. He can't go home. He has no castle. No one will hire him. Not a single place he can go. It actually reminds me of the beginning of The Hedge Knight, right? Where Dunk, when Arlen has died, if you recall, he's pretty desperate. I mean, Mm. had he not actually come into the Targs, the whole tourney was like, this is going to save his life. Winning that tourney was like, I'm going to have money and a job and etc. And that's what Sandor was promised by winning the Hands tourney, right? Like, you're promised riches and glory and being a knight with valor. Had the whole fiasco Dunk fell into another trial if you recall, not happened, he wouldn't have survived. He had his horse and his armor, and that's like one of the biggest themes, right? You have to ransom your armor and horseback. And with what money? I thought that was really interesting, yeah. And and something else coming to mind in this is like right before we have Oberyn's entrance in that Tyrion chapter, as mentioned earlier, Tyrion in that last chapter has this back and forth with Oberyn, and he's so consumed with like uh, coming back to some of our earlier comments of like scapegoating and kind of like the image Mm. that is portrayed Tyrion is so consumed with Oberyn and the Reach being enemies and his whole, like, the rumors of him and Willis and everything that happened in Tourney. And Oberyn himself is like, things aren't always what they seem, bro. Willis and I are buddies. Like, we we message. We text, bro. And Beric here is showing us. He's like, Sandor's not our enemy, you guys. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It's not our enemy. Yeah. And also, I think part of it is, I guess, their religion tells them to just let that, let that man go. Yeah. Right? And he's not their enemy, and also he's like, he's just a sad man. Yeah. That's what Thoros said. He's like, that's just a sad man. Hurt people hurt people. Hmm. Exactly. And I'd even add, you know, like, that's Beric's favorite fruit, letting that man go. That actually is true. So, no one rests easy that night. Arya curls up, holding her jack and coin. You know, some people have plushies. She has her murder murder genie coin and thinks that he left her hot pie left her <laughs> and now gendry is leaving she's yeah, like mommy you're in syria and her dad they all died and jack just gave her a stupid penny and vanished you know and she whispers her prayers to her coin and sleep takes her at last and she wakes in the night though when the fire has burnt down and hears wolves howling they're so close that there's so many they sounded as if they were all around the stable dozens of them Maybe hundreds. I hope they eat the hound. She remembered what he'd said about wolves and dogs. 
Come morning, Septon Ut still swung beneath the tree, but the Brown brothers were out in the rain with spades, digging shallow graves for the other dead. Lord Beric thanked them for the night's lodging and the meal and gave them a bag of silver stags, see they had money, to help rebuild. Harwin, likely Luke, and Waddy the Miller went out scouting, but neither wolves nor hounds were found. As Arya was cinching her saddle girth, Gendry came up to say he was sorry. She put a foot in the stirrup and swung up into her saddle so she could look down on him instead of up. You could have made swords at River Run for my brother, she thought. But what she said was, if you want to be some stupid outlaw knight and get hanged, why should I care? I'll be at Riverrun ransomed with my brother. There was no rain that day, thankfully, and for once they made good time. Oh. Aww. Big Sundari hours from Maria. Yeah. <laughs> but also, I just realized that there was no rain that day, and I'm like, oh yeah, because the rains of Castamere comes a different day. <laughs> so she spoke. Uh, yeah, that's very sad. Their paths have diverted. I hope they stay good friends in the long run, you know? I mean, they will. I don't know if, like, good friends, but George has basically confirmed that they will meet again. Well, duh. I mean, Featherbed, come on. I mean, they have their cute little song. Oh, yeah. Bro? Cute little Featherbed. Yeah. <sighs> Goodbye, Gendry. Goodbye, Gendry. Good luck with the ranch. Good and... luck with the, the Dutton Ranch, Yellowstone, 1980, yeah. whatever, 1890, whatever. Good luck My with parents Arya's watch mom. It. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, good luck with her mom. You thought Arya was a piece of work. Wait till you meet her mom, Gendry. Dude, he's met both of her parents. He's basically in. Yeah, that's true now that you say it. Yeah. Wow. Well. <laughs> Oh my god, we'll be back next chapter when Gendry pops the question after getting approval from Lady Stoneheart and Dead Ned. No, I'm just kidding. The question is, will you kill your mom? Will you kill your mom will for me? Will you, Arya Stark, murder your mommy for me? Uh. Romance. Well, yeah. What a fucking chapter. Thanks for listening. I'm like, I feel like Beric. I'm like, I feel like I've been brought back to life 80 times through that chapter. That's a fucking roller coaster we just went on. Wow, big evanescence hours. Bring me to life. Wake me up. <laughs> I love doing that part though, like the wake me up. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Eliana, where are people gonna find us on the internet? Well, you can find us on the internet. You can find us on social media at twitter.com/girlsgonecanon. That's C-A-N-O-N, or by looking up Girls Gone Canon on. Blue Sky, we are on Blue Sky. Or you can tell us some of your thoughts. You can send us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yes, yes. And of course, thanks to our wonderful patrons who sponsor pretty much every single episode we put out. Yeah, it wouldn't happen without them. Uh, thanks as always. You can sign up at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon in a tier to your liking. And our patrons are going to tell you where else you can find us and what to look for. You can catch Girls Gone Canon on any of the following streamers. On Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Acast, Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Audible, and Amazon Podcasts. You can also join us on Patreon, where if you join the Thunder tier or above, you have access to a Discord, 
and monthly happy hours and things like that. And by joining the Discord, you get access to a bunch of great channels, including but not limited to memes and shit posting channel, Fashion Hour. There are multiple channels for historic materials, A Song of Ice and Fire. There's a Pets channel, which I think is probably the most important channel of all. Respectful Thirsting, because there's a channel for that. Come by, join the community. It's a lot of fun and you won't regret it. We'll be back next week with the House Dane Power Hour to talk in Aria 8 about Ashara Dane for eight years. Just kidding. Um, Thanks so much for listening. I've been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I've been another one of your hosts, Eliana. See you next week. Goodbye. I'll, I'll I'll bring songs next week. I'm sorry, everyone. I did not do my homework for this week. Sorry, Alex. Sorry, Alex. Who let the dogs out? Who? 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 But that's a Sandor song. Goodbye.